Greetings in Jesus' name, the one who wants to be the redeemer of all mankind. And what a privilege we have this morning to know him as our redeemer, the Lord of our life. What a tremendous blessing. Welcome to <clears throat> any or all the regulars here. We're so glad you're here. It'd be pretty empty house, but wouldn't, you wouldn't be here. And welcome to you visitors. Glad you're here too. We're glad that we can meet here with our, the Bible in our hands and look at it and realize what God wants to do for us and through us to be a blessing to mankind. Uh, Titus 2 verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. It's a wonderful thing for us to remember that Jesus saved us. We couldn't save ourselves. Jesus come to save us from a life of sin, from a miserable life, a deplorable life, to be redeemed into him. And that's a tremendous blessing. So I'd like to look at some principles, review this morning some principles that are good to remember when a person responds to the Holy Spirit under conviction and Jesus' claim on their life. You know, sometimes uh, you get the opportunity to counsel some white revival meetings. I understand that there isn't a lot of anxiousness to do that sometimes, but maybe we should be a little bit more anxious to do that. And, you know, there, there are certain principles that we should look at and remember it was we counsel people. And sometimes children respond at home, which I think is wonderful. And yet, um, many times, uh, you know, we hardly know what to say sometimes. Well, God, don't, uh, God has answers. And there is uh, things that we need to remember. So uh, the, the title of the message is Salvation Principles. And uh, first thing when a person responds, whether at home or revivals or wherever, and, you're asked to, and you get the privilege to being the one counsel them. Uh, you know, sometimes they say, well, I want to be a Christian. Or uh, I want to be a nicer person. And, uh, you know, that's a good desire. But the one that uh, wants to be saved, first and foremost, needs to know that they're lost. Mark it down. they got to know that they're lost. Or a person's hard to be saved, they don't know that they're lost. And so... Uh, well, it says very plainly in Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3, brings this out very clearly and says, In which, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, every one. Every child born, when they come to the age of accountability, realize that they have a nature problem. They're inclined to do wrong. Now, I thank God that they're safe in Jesus up to that time. But when the Holy Spirit starts speaking to them, things change. You've noticed that. If you had many children, uh, you'll notice that if you're observant to those kind of things. Well, see, the, the thing is, sometimes when people respond... Uh, there are revivals, and this don't happen much anymore. It used to happen more and more, but there used to be a good old, what they call, hell burner. Have you ever heard of that? Ever experienced one? Well, it used to be what happened. And certain times, uh, young children will say, oh, yeah, that's a fearful thing. And indeed it is. 
Hell is a fearful thing. And sometimes little children can't handle that and they'll respond because, oh, it's such a woeful thing. But you must determine, what you must determine is, if that person is saying doing it from fear of hell, or if they're responding because they know they have sin in their lives, that if they were would meet the judge of all the earth, they would go to hell because of sin in their lives or sinful nature. See, there's a world of difference. Because I, I can tell you uh, from my own personal experience, when the Lord spoke to me and let me know in no uncertain terms, if I would die today, I would go to hell. I knew where I stood, and I knew I needed to accept Jesus. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have pushed over, but at least things started clicking, okay? And that's important to know. So there is, you got to check in the why they come. Or, you know, some of them, uh, and I've heard this happen too, where, you know, uh, I, I want to be a better person. And a lot of my friends, you know, they're becoming Christians. That is not why we come to Jesus. Now, it's good to, uh, to want to be a good person. And, but accepting the Lord because of peer pressure will not get us where we want to be spiritually. Uh, in other words, in a person's life, there is something called, I've heard it called, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure it's a biblical, we won't find it verbatim in the Bible, okay, a spiritual awakening. And that is a period of a person's life when they start waking up to realize, you know what, I'm not faring too well. I'm just not doing too well. And the Bible says certain things. And, and, you know, I can't live up that standard on my own. And it, it start by that. And there's a spiritual awakening. Just like when you went to the first grade, you start getting the intellectual awakening that you really don't know too much. And you have a lot to learn. And by the sixth or eighth grade, you're starting to learn a little bit. And by twelfth grade, you're learning a little bit more. Not that much in the big picture. But at least you got to start on intellectual awakening. And, uh, and that's sort of the way it is. Spiritually, there is a spiritual awakening, and when a person uh, starts that spiritual awakening, a lot of times there's a lot of naiveness that's a, that's part of the picture. It is much better if, when a person starts a spiritual awakening, if it can be that can be progressing a little bit, so there can be more understanding of the spiritual dynamics that need to happen for them to accept the Lord. Either that, or there's got to be a lot of training and, and dis, discipling after that point. There's going to be a whole lot. So, <clears throat> in other words, you need to determine, did they respond because of fear, peer pressure, or, you know, I, I wasn't nice to my mom or dad yesterday. I, you know, I, I've just, that wasn't nice. Uh, it is always good for children to want to apologize for being ugly. That is always good. I, I, I think we should promote that. Because and I think it's good to say, look, you know, uh, that wasn't pleasing to Jesus, and we want to please Jesus. Always have that a focus in your home and life that we're wanting to please Jesus because when that is a focus, and that's the spiritual level in a person's home, and the criteria even for your children, then when he speaks and they realize that my nature is not in tune with Jesus, guess what? Hopefully they'll want to respond quickly. That's what you want. You want to set the criteria so your home is nurturing a person to be receptive to the Holy Spirit. So I think it's very good to say, yes, we want to please Jesus. And if you did wrong, let's, let's ask Jesus to forgive you of that and give you a heart to just to continue loving him. And then that, that should work. Or something unkind. Or I was mean here or there. 
but uh, they have not grasped the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that they're sinners by nature. When there's a reasonable amount of spiritual awakening, they'll realize that they have a sinful nature. Now, I want to say right here that I'm saying things that we need to know and understand. That doesn't mean they're going to say this verbatim. Okay, we're not boxing your children. We're not boxing the respondee, but they need to understand if on a first time conversion experience. Okay, I'm talking about a first time conversion experience that they just didn't do an isolated incident of wrong, that they have a nature that is wrong. That is tremendously important. In fact, that is a great indicator of whether your child is too immature or doesn't understand, or where they're starting to grasp the big picture, okay? Because the bigger picture is that our nature is not the, uh, the divine nature that God, Jesus, gives us when we accept him. That is huge. That's a huge criteria, that they have a sinful nature. And so, and so we need to encourage them uh, to please God and to do what is right and to have a heart to please Jesus. So... When the Holy Spirit speaks to them about their spiritual nature, they will have a different mentality and they'll have a different level of remorse for transgression. It won't be just a light trivial thing. They'll start seeing it, the big picture, that this is a major transgression against God and the Father. No wonder says in Romans 10, 3, 10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, <clears throat> You might know these verses, but if you don't have them, it would be good if you wrote them down. You need to know. I mean, these principles are good things that you need. The the person that responded needs to realize you aren't the first person (laughs) that felt this way. You sometimes say, oh, they're so burdened. Well, every Christian here this morning, when they accepted Jesus, they should have known. um, I'm defiled. I'm deplorable. You know, there's none righteous, no, no. I have got a serious sin problem, okay? And when we get there, then God can work with that person. That's, that's what God likes to see. And you know what? You as a counselor have an opportunity to help that respondee see that. In case he didn't see it, you can help him. Uh, you know, you can be an agent for the Lord. So as a counselor, you need to remember... Um, in this situation, it should be remembered that you are striving to help that respondee come to a repentance experience. Now, I hope that rings bells with you because there needs to be repentance or there will be no conversion. Okay? And see if you, you're setting the criteria for a genuine con, uh, repentance. And that's, I think, in other words... You're wanting to come out. Uh, you remember what repentance is? I'll tell you the six steps, okay? And we looked at it here. First, their conviction. And it's not conviction for an isolated incident. It's conviction of their sin problem. Then there'll be godly sorrow, okay? And if we see the enormity of our sin, there should be, and there will be, a godly sorrow. Then third, there is confession. A confession of sin because we, won't get, uh, we don't get forgiveness any other way. Then fourth, there needs to be a forsaking of sin because of we hate that sin. We know it breaks that fellowship with God, and we want fellowship with God, and we want help to have victory over it, so we're going to forsake sin, and we have a distaste for sin. If needed or if possible and necessary, there needs to be restitution. 
wherever it can be or needs to be, and ultimately and absolutely must be a change of heart. A change of heart. Remember that? We had up on the chalkboard here about, I don't know, back in the past life, okay, in the last year. And, and it's got to be, see, friends, this is called transformation. And sometimes people, sometimes you may wonder, and you aren't the first one to wonder, is it just reformation or is it true transformation? Friends, it is our privilege to help counsel as parents, if your children come, to help your child have a transformation experience. And that's what you want, friends. That's what Jesus wants. Number one, that's what the kingdom of God got to have. Transformation experience where they come in knowing they were a sinner, knowing they had a sinful nature. They got cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. They're forgiven. They're, they're looking to him for grace. Before, you know, they were striving in their own power to do what's right. Now, they're living victorious because of the power of Jesus in their lives. They're a new person. That's transformation. They hate sin. And they, and they love doing what's right. They love fellowship with God. And we'll go into more of these details. I'm telling you now, you want to aid that uh, one respondee to a repentance experience. Repentance experience. We always remember that. And it'll help you so much. So, how's a person going to have God as our, they should have, uh, when they have sin in their life, unless they know the dire effects of sin. So you can, you can help them through that and how awful that is to God. And you know what? A lot of youngsters don't realize that. I'm not sure that we fully grasp that as mature adults, how much God hates sin. I don't think we grasp it. I know. I don't think I do. But we should try, okay? Well, Romans 7, 12 and 13 say uh, some things that help us understand. It says, wherefore, the law... Is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it may appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. And that is something I don't think we realize. Look, he said, look, the, the commandments of God we know are righteous, they're good, and they're his standard. They're not suggestions, they're the law. They're our standard for living. They're not optional. In fact, you don't have to build conviction on them to, to, to do them. You do them because God said it, and you love him. And so they're, they're our standard. And they said, you know, that, that wasn't intended to bring death into you, no. It's intended to be your standard for life. But for that to work out, he says, look, you can't just dabble in sin. You can't just go out and do what you want to do. You've got to see sin as exceedingly sinful. And that's the way it is for everyone. Everyone. We have that privilege. Well, but the closer we, the more we know about Jesus, the more we know about God, the more we'll understand that. I don't think we can see it as, as good as he does, but we can at least try to understand that. It's good... To remind them that all mankind has the same sin problem. That, you know, you're a child of this happening. You're not anything uh, extra condemned or, or extra good. Because some of them come and they, they think they're pretty good. And because uh, the scripture says very plainly in Romans 3.23. How many of you know what Romans 3.23 says? Good. 
God would be pleased if it would be a bigger percentage of hands. So this is a very familiar verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isn't that easy? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of Romans 3.23. If you don't know it, write it down and memorize it. Because if you're going to counsel anybody, you should definitely bring that into what you're saying. Okay, I'm telling you, these are important principles that you don't have to say every verse I'm going to say this morning. Okay, I'm going to try to flesh it out half decent. Uh, but you need to know these principles and you need to know verses because Bible speaks, okay? You can say, oh, everybody's a sinner. Don't do that. Say Romans 3.23, okay? The scripture says that brings a standard to life and counseling that nothing else does, okay? Remember that. Speak the Bible, okay? It has authority. And it has authority. And so you want to know, for all have sinned that comes short of the glory of God. You were that way. I was that way. When I said to Jesus, we're all that way. And, and it's, it is a good thing when a child gets that revelation that they are a sinner. And they have a sin for it. That is a good thing. That's a wonderful thing that he recognized that. And, of course, uh, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, of us all. We need, they need to know that they are a sinner and they cannot save themselves. They need to know and remember that. Then they also need to know that God is merciful. God's a God of mercy and love. And that's in uh, Psalms 103, 8 to 10 says, And the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. For he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I thank God and, and every recipient of God's mercy uh, and God's love and compassion uh, needs to rejoice in the mercy of God. And that's a good thing to remember. God is love. Where's that found? First John 4, 8b. God is love. I, I, I think it's good to always remember that and bring that in. I'm a little slow to do that because that's what the Protestants do. They, they live in God is love and his mercy. And guess what? You can live a mighty sinful lifestyle if you're not careful. If you overemphasize one at the expense of the other. It's very true, though. God is love, and he loved us when we were yet sinners. Thank God, aren't we? Thank God. He's merciful. Yeah. He gave, he gave us all a second and third chance. Or we wouldn't be here this morning. And uh, so... That person that that uh, responding needs to remember that uh, man is a sinner, and God wants them to be His child, and that's why He's calling them. No one says in Exodus thirty four seven a keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty. Don't you wish he would? But he's saying, look, we are guilty. And, and just in our own, just thinking, well, God's a God of love and mercy, doesn't clear the slate. It exposes the problem with our lives. He will by no means clear the guilty. Then also, in Ephesians 2, verses 3 and 4, we already looked at the uh, third verse. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath. That's where we were. 
even as others. Verse 4 is the one we're looking at. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. But God. When God looks at us, he looks at us with the eyes of mercy and love. Thank God for that. That's why we're here this morning can worship him. Now, this shows that God is very merciful and very loving. But he's just and holy and will not tolerate sin. That's the balance. That's the balance. We can't hard for man to get a balance. It seems like we fall off one side or the other many times. But if we can get a balance, God is balanced. And I heard it said, and it's very true. And it helps balance me. God's love never violates his holiness. God's love will never violate his holiness. And watch out. When you hear people talking about love, just check it on that one. Check it on that one. Okay. Habakkuk 1, verse 13a. It says, the scripture says, Thou art pure eyes, than to behold evil. Thou canst not look on iniquity. Imagine, this is our God. We're talking about a holy God now. Psalms uh, 7, 11 says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Think the psalmist lied? I, I, I think you, man tends to think, oh, so he looks down the wicked people, and he just is so upset, so upset with them. I, I don't think, this is where I think we just miss it. I don't think we can understand how much God abhors sin. He absolutely abhors sin. And so he looks down and he sees man walking in sin. He just abhors that sin. He would, if he wouldn't abhor it that much, he'd have never sent his son to die for my sins. You know what I mean? See, there, we think, oh, it's so loving. Well, there was something that caused that to happen. And that was because he knew my sin and sins and iniquity. It just trans... It... it, it uh, violates his very nature. You understand that? Sin and iniquity just violates the very nature of God. And he just hates it tremendously. And we need to remember that ourselves. And we need to make sure that the one accepting coming to Jesus understands that. Friends, it makes for a careful walk. We need to grasp that in our little small minds. We need to try to understand that. So he is from core to core, or from wall to wall, whatever how way it is, he is totally holy. God is totally holy. And we get that from First Peter, from all the scripture, just read the Bible. But it's plainly stated in First Peter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But as he who hath called you is holy, so be so also be ye holy in all conduct, because it is written. Be holy, for I am holy. I thank God he's a holy God. I thank God for that. And I thank God he helps us live a holy life. And so man has a big sin problem. And God loves man. And he's merciful to man. And he wants man to have fellowship and, and, and communion with him. But there's a huge problem. Man on his own cannot fellowship with God. With his own sinful nature. Can't do that. It creates a dilemma. And that's why he sent Jesus. And so Jesus is the answer. And that's in Ephesians. No, excuse me. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8. 
And especially verse 8 where it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus come to die on the cross for your sins. And you can tell that to, to the applicant. For yours, for mine, and yours. You didn't include it, exclude anybody. Romans 5, verse 8 is another good one. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So Jesus come to die for our sins. And give his blood that we can have forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1 verse 7. I'll give you a little bit more ammunition. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. No other way. No other way to be saved. To be transformed and through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How beautiful. We ought to praise God for the provision of salvation that we have. There's no other way to receive forgiveness of sins from God than by confession to God alone and Him and confessing our sins and get cleansing by the blood of Jesus. There's no other way. Make sure it's abundantly clear to the person that there's no other way to get forgiveness of sins than by confessing them and by the blood of Jesus Christ and confessing it. No wonder it says in 1 John 1, verses 6 to 10, and this is kind of reviews a lot of, of what I've been speaking about. There's a bunch of points here. 1 John 1, verses 6 to 10 says, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we walk our own way. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, in other words, we walk according to revealed truth, that's light. As he reveals it, that light to us, we have fellowship, we respond to it, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess, and, and, and 1 John 1, 9, I'm sure you know that one by heart. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, if we confess our sins, it's that simple. And it's that hard. And it's that hard. You know, uh, if it was easy, there'd be more responses at revival meetings. Have you ever noticed that? There's a new phenomenon now. And you can have a good week of revivals and nobody confessed anything. I think that's a new phenomenon we're coming into. I wonder what Jesus thinks of that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's pretty plain, That's pretty plain, isn't it? Yeah. So praise the Lord, we can all be forgiven. Praise the Lord, we can be forgiven. We can be blood war saints if we confess our sins. So easy. So clear. But it's spiritual warfare all the way. Spiritual warfare all the way. Well, how do we get this? We must believe in Jesus and act in faith. We have to have faith. We have to believe that Jesus actually lived. You didn't say him. 
We didn't see him die. We didn't see him shed his blood. We didn't see him rise again. But we believe it by faith, right? We believe it by faith. We know that he did it. No wonder it says Romans 10, 9, and 10. How many of you can say Romans 10, 9, and 10? It's the kind of tricky wording. There's a few of you. But you need to know that reference. This is one you might want to look up to make sure you get it right. Because that's the kind of way I am. Romans 10, 9, and 10 are a must. Can you say, Brother Paul, you, I believe you can, can't you? Yeah. Now, speak up. Keep going. Speak up. Yes. For with the heart, keep going. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I tell you, you need to know that reference. <laughs> that is critically important because it brings it together. It brings faith together and confession. Because to have faith but not confession, you won't be saved. You can confess, but if you don't believe, you won't be saved, okay? It brings it together. You need to have that together. Also, it's, uh, that same uh, thought is in, in John 3, 14 to 18, and also Romans 3, 22 to 26 has the same thought. You must you know, you've got to open your mouth. You can do that about all, all we, people do that about all kinds of things. Open them, confess Jesus Christ. Confess that he, that you want him to be your savior. Confess, and you believe, you believe in him. You believe that he died and you, for your sins. And he rose again for our resurrection. Uh, so we can raise again. We must have faith. They must, and we must have faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It's important initially, and it's important after the initial experience, too. I thank God for that. For it says very clearly, Ephesians 2, 8. Does that ring bells? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. These are easy verses, okay? Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't do it on our own. Forget it. If you did, we would all put a lot of effort up front, and we'd, be, and we'd be most men most miserable because we can't do it on our own. But for by grace, we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not ourselves. It is a gift of God to us as mankind to receive his saving faith. So it's good to review it to them what it takes. It takes true repentance. It takes acknowledging that I am a sinner. I have a sinful nature. God cares about those sinful people, and he loved them, and he had mercy, and that's why he spoke to you. That's why he speaks to us. But still, he's a holy God, and he's not, and okay, I'm going to say what I did in the last X long in just a minute or two. And so he sent Jesus, and, but he's a holy God, and there's a dilemma that, that man can be reconciled back to God and have fellowship with that just all-powerful and all-holy God and all-loving God. But he's a holy God, and he can have fellowship with you, with me, with us. What a blessing is it that through Jesus. So because we can't have that sin, we can't have sin in our life, we can't have it as our nature. We can't even have it outstanding and unforgiven expect to have good fellowship. It doesn't happen. It brings lukewarmness. 
and Christians. It brings turmoil of soul for the sinner that hasn't accepted Jesus. It brings, and that's, that is what God wants. So he wants us to receive him, and we do it. We accept. We, we know Jesus shed his blood. It was for sins, the sins of the whole world, because now we don't have to sacrifice those animals and just do it temporarily. Uh, now we have a covering for sin. It's through Jesus, but we got to confess it. We got to believe in Him. We've got to make a confession to Him and acknowledge that I'm a sinner and Lord, save me. Forgive my sins. Also, it is good sometimes to ask Have you acknowledged everything in your life that the Holy Spirit has asked you to? You know, because they can kind of just say something up front, kind of general. And then after you start talking a while and you get the responding and they start loosening up, as it were, a little bit, it's kind of amazing what can come out 10, 15 minutes later. Maybe you'll find out, really. Some people, you know, that come, uh, you know, it's a good thing to make sure that they're laying everything on the altar. Okay? Remember, we want a genuine conversion experience. We want them to leave a little better and they left. We want everything when they, when, when, by God's help, you want everything beneath the blood of Jesus. You want a clear slate. You want total peace. And so, and in fact, that's one thing you need to ask them. Uh, you know, you know, are you laying everything out because we want air, we want, we we want to be open. We want to be honest. We want to be real, as they say nowadays, before God. So we want to be open for Him. And uh, and then. It's good. I like to, irregardless of their age, may I say, because if they're old enough to grasp this, they're old enough to pray out loud, okay? You don't need to pray for them because sometimes I feel like when you pray for them, you're putting words in their mouth, okay? They should be old enough to pray for themselves. And I, I say, look, you know what's on your heart. You know why you confess this. You know that you want to be saved. So you just tell Jesus. You tell Jesus that, you know, your sin problem. And what you believe in his, you, you can kind of tell them, maybe you already reviewed some things they need to do. You know, it's pretty plain. And ask them to pray, and then you'll pray last. I think it's very fitting to let them pray, because how they get clearing from their sins, if they don't pray, okay, they need to confess themselves. So remember that. Let, make sure they pray the sinner's prayer. Now, I don't need to box them in, but they need to pray for their own confession of sin. And... Uh, let them pray first, and you pray second. And then, after that, pray that they will have peace and ask them if they do. Because if they don't, then you need more. You have more talking to do, okay? Because God, I firmly believe, when we confess our sins totally to him, and we ask him to forgive us our sins, and we're genuine, we're specific about this, he will forgive them, and you'll have peace right away. Amen? You've experienced that, haven't you? Sure, you do. You, you do that, you have peace right away. There's peace in the boat right away. That's what we saw. There's peace right away. And that's what he wants. And that's what he expects. Now, uh, there's, a, there's a number of things to remember then, sort of. Uh, it would be good to remember. So I'm going to list them down. Some things I wrote down that I think is helpful for, to remind them. Remind them that Jesus is now their Savior and Lord of their life. It's totally different than it was yesterday, okay? This, we're talking about first-time conversions. That Jesus is now the Savior and Lord of their life. They will have the privilege of letting him direct their steps, okay? We're changing lordship. And somehow you can say it in your own words, 
I'm not telling you what to say. I'm just telling you to make sure they get that across. <laughs> because if it doesn't change, they'll go out tomorrow and do the same thing they did yesterday. And you don't want that. And uh, I'm going to tell you, now, I'm, these, some of these just don't have Bible. That one would, for sure. But some of these don't have Bible principles. But I think they really help us as mankind because we're kind of frail about this. Uh, tell them that, that they have made the most important decision of their life. This is, this is way, this is the most important decision in their life by a long shot, and they have chosen wisely. I think it's good to commend them. And then, this, I like to tell them, you know, that you need to drive a stake that today, on April the 28th, is your new birth date. It's your new birth date, okay? And you need to remember that it's more important than your other birth date. You know, people really make a, some people make a pretty big ado over birthdays. Well, how about making a, a little or some good remembrance of the real important birthday? You see? Tell them to, re, to remember that because then they can say, the thing is, they're going to have an enemy that's going to tempt them. And generally, it's not too long down the road. And you say, tomorrow or the next week, whenever. Say, you can say, and they need to know this. Look, tempter. You can say, I know I gave my heart and I gave it completely to Jesus on April the 28th of, uh, of 2019. I know that. You know what I mean? Just like I know I'm here and I know that and I gave my heart to him. It was real and genuine, friends. The devil will want to come and say, oh, that wasn't real. You didn't give everything. You know, was you truly forgiven? You know, you've heard those things. You've heard what he says. And, uh, you know, you're still kind of a, just a sinner. You know, and look, they need to learn how to resist the devil. But to do the resist the devil, you've got to have a true, complete conversion experience and drive a stake and remember that day. Remember that day. Um, the, another one. Discuss with them the need to tell others of their new faith and love for Jesus and his ways. They need to testify it is healthy spiritually. And if they go to school or they have to tell them, you tell your friends, I'm a new person. I gave my heart to the Lord. That'll do worlds for a youngster. And an oldster too, by the way. It does a world to do that. Okay. Also, another thing. Encourage them to rejoice in the forgiveness of sins by the blood. Rejoice. Now you aren't burdened. Look, now you don't have to make your decisions. You let God lead you. You let Jesus lead you. You know, you can rejoice. I am forgiven. I have peace. It's a gift from God. I, you didn't have that yesterday. You got it. You've got something to rejoice about. So many people rejoice about um, minimal and, and novel and, and, and unimportant things. Rejoice in what's important. And that's for everybody here this morning, okay? Rejoice in what's important for us. That would be a good testimony. Also, back to some really basic stuff. Encourage them to feast and read God's word daily. It's absolutely paramount. It's, uh, tell them, you, you know, now the will of Jesus is his love for you and his direction on your life and what he cares about and what he expects you to stay away from is plainly revealed in this book. Get into the manual. You'll make, you, that's the only way to make the heaven. Get into the word. Get into the word. Love it. Cherish it. Read it. And let it speak to you with authority. Let it speak with authority. Because it is authority. Okay, another one. They need to pray much. Some of these are just givens, but 
Uh, this isn't an overload. This is just a, some few uh, Christian uh, things that we need to do. They need to pray very much. They need to pray for strength. Pray for victory. Uh, pray for strength uh, over temptation. Pray to have courage to stand up and be what they need to be in face of ridicule. Because people like to ridicule some. You know, they will need Jesus all the time. It's a new way, you know. We was just doing it their way. Now we're going to do it God's way. And so they need to get reprogrammed. Pray to Jesus. Pray without ceasing. Remember, he's there. He wants to aid you. He'll help you over anything. He'll help you in the low times. And he wants to be your Lord in the high times. And he's there. Yes, pray to Jesus. And still remember, he wants to forgive your sins. You'll make mistakes. And that, 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 that cleansing by the blood of Jesus is still available tomorrow. You know, we want to, you, know, you want to give them hope, hope in Jesus. You know, when you, if you fail tomorrow or the next day, you're not down and out. Yes, you need forgiveness. Come back to the cross where you are today. And so that gives a lot of it. Pray. Prayer is an important part. Also, enjoy fellowship with other believers. Get, get into going to church. We need that. All believers need that. Scripture says that plainly. Love worshiping collective. Practice service to others and submission within the brotherhood. You get it? Sure. It's good. Be of service. And one way we prove our humble walk is being in submission to the Holy Spirit's leading among brotherhood. It's pretty popular nowadays to do it my way. And they don't fit in anywhere. And I wonder if they're fitting into the kingdom of God. I wonder if they would. So, just seven little points. After you. Just seven little ones, I think. Actually, most of them are pretty big, actually. There are seven important points. Uh, so also at the end, this is another point. Just tell them this, that you'll pray for them, that you really care about them. You want to walk beside them. They can come to you anytime and all the time. You're there. You're, you know, you haven't had all the struggles in the world, but you've had a few. And you, you know, you love to just be a close friend and be their aid. Because every Christian needs Jesus as their direction, the Holy Spirit as their comforter and forgiver, and they need other people walking beside them. We need all that. So you can say, I care. Come. Come to me whenever you need to. No wonder it says in Luke seven fifty, and he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. God bless you.